Right, we are starting a new series, as Matthew said today, a five-week series which takes up to Easter, only five weeks till Easter. And uh, this series is called The Air We Breathe, Why We Think Like We Do, What's Gone Wrong, and What We Should Do About It. And we've got a number of things we're trying to achieve over these five weeks. One thing we're trying to achieve is to help you see that Christianity is the air that we breathe. The reason that our society, our culture holds the values it does is because of our Christian heritage. So that's something we want to just help you to understand more clearly. Another thing we're trying to achieve is to help you to be better equipped to answer the hard questions that our culture is asking. There's all kinds of craziness going on in the world around us, and as those of us who are Christians can sometimes find it a little bit difficult to know how to engage, how to respond, how to answer the kind of questions that are being thrown in our faces by the world around us. So we're hoping that this five weeks would better equip us to do that, both on Sundays, discussion in our life groups, and also we've got a couple of what we're calling discovery evenings midweek where we're going to have more opportunities to talk and dialogue together. Something else we want to do is to help to show you how the answers provided by Christianity are actually more satisfying than the answers the world would give us. That Christianity speaks to the heart as well as to the head. And that if you really want to live in a world which truly demonstrates experiences, works out things like compassion and justice, well, Christianity gives you better, more satisfying, more heartfelt answers than anything the world can offer. So we're hoping to show that. And we're doing this because there are things going on in our culture which we need to speak into. And to be honest, some of the stuff we're going to be talking about over these five weeks are things which I would rather not go near because they can feel like uh, red button issues, hot topic issues, which are potentially controversial. And to be honest, there's a lot about me which would think I'd rather just avoid them. But there are lots of things going on in our world which we think we just can't ignore as Christians because they do affect us all every day in the workplace, in normal life, in the news that we watch, all that's happening. And so... We felt as elders we have a responsibility to take some time to try and intentionally teach into these things and uh, try and equip us as a church. And also, if you're not a Christian and you're here and you're checking us out, uh, for you to understand something of what we believe and hopefully for you to understand why it at least makes sense, even if you don't fully go along with yourself. And, of course, my prayer would be that you would feel in your heart as well that this, what we're teaching, actually answers the longings of your heart better than what you've been taught by the world's in which you live. So uh, last week, last Tuesday in the mailer, we sent out a link to a bunch of resources, which we'll do again in the mailer this week, some books to read and things to listen to, things to watch. Let me just plug three particular books which we've got for sale here this morning. The first one is called The Air We Breathe. It's by Glenn Scrivener. Uh, We've taken the title of this book as the title for this series. This is a great book which explains a lot of why our culture thinks as it does, the values that we have, and why Christianity is both the reason for the values that we hold as a culture and why Christianity offers a better hope for the values that we have. So we'd commend that one to you. The second one, which I'd recommend, and this is the smallest, cheapest, and easiest of the books to read, so it might be the one that you want to go for, is called The Secular Creed by Rebecca McLaughlin. Really helpful, only just about 100 pages, uh, really helpfully engaging with contemporary issues, again, explaining what Christianity believes, dealing with some of the, the hot topic issues of our day, does that in a very winsome and helpful way, so I'd really recommend her book. And then the third book is a little bit more meaty, but if you wanted to get more into, again, understanding why our world is now as it is, Strange New World by Carl Truman, absolutely superb. I would 
I would love, I know it's a, a foolish ambition, a hopeless ambition, I would love every member of Gateway to read this book. I can't commend it high enough. So these three books are available there at, on the shelf at the back. You can buy them at the end if you so wish. You got them for free. I have to go back to the bookshelf, my love. Right, so this morning, the theme of this morning is strange yet familiar. Our Christian values can seem very strange in our worlds today. We've seen this over the past week with Kate Forbes, uh, standing for leader of the Scottish National Party, uh, and the how she's been absolutely raked over the coals because of her beliefs about marriage, beliefs which actually we would completely concur with here at Gateway. And she has been hauled over the coals because of what she believes about marriage. And her beliefs about marriage, of course, spring from her Christian faith. And there's just been this massive controversy about whether somebody who actually holds those values can occupy a position of public office to have the views she has about marriage, which are very conventional until yesterday would have been considered completely normal, uh, now can feel very strange in the world in which we live. A contrasting example of that is the terrible earthquake in Turkey where 50,000 or more tragically have died. Now that terrible earthquake generated a lot of compassion. It occupied a lot of news headlines here in the UK, there was a lot of concern about what was going on. Why? It's a long way away, and none of us are personally affected. So why do we care? Why does it matter to us if 2,000 people died in Turkey and Syria? It has no practical impact on our lives. Why do we care? The reason that we care, the reason that we have compassion, actually is a Christian value. It's a Christian virtue and the reason that in, the, in our cultural context we are concerned about something happening thousands of miles away which doesn't affect us personally is because of what Christianity has built into us. So we see Christianity, the values of Christianity are, both can seem very strange in our world at the moment but also very familiar. But it's all about the values that Christianity has created. Now I'm going to read a scripture to illustrate this. I'm going to turn to the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 22. And uh, as I read this, just listen to your heart. See, listen to the things which kind of you cheer as inwardly as I read them and the things which make you feel uncomfortable as I read them. This is what the Word of God says. Deuteronomy 22, verse 1. If you see your fellow Israelites' ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to its owner. If they do not live near you, or if you do not know who owns it, Take it home with you and keep it until they come looking for it. Then give it back. Do the same if you find their donkey or cloak or anything else they have lost. Do not ignore it. If you see your fellow Israelite's donkey or ox fallen on the road, do not ignore it. Help the owner to get it to its feet. A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. If you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go, so that it may go well with you, and you may have a long life. When you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof, so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard, 
If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Make tassels on the four corners of the cloak you wear. This is the word of the Lord. Now, these instructions were given to God's people, Israel, in the wilderness after they had left Egypt and before they entered the Promised Land three and a half thousand years ago. And there are some things in these instructions which just seem strange to us. Why do you have to have tassels on the corner of your cloak? And some of those things can be easily explained. The tassels are actually about a visual reminder of God's instructions that when you see, when you hold the tassel on the end of your cloak, it's a, a physical, a visual prompt to remind you of God's instructions and his faithfulness. And so by the thing that you wear, you are reminded of who God is and what he's commanded you to do. So we can explain those kind of things fairly simply, even if they seem rather strange to us. There are things in these instructions, which I think probably we like, as, we, as I was reading it, there might be things which inside you say, yes, that's good. There are things which feel culturally familiar to us, things actually which do reflect our values. Honesty. If you see, if you find your neighbor's cloak, you find, your neighbor's, you find somebody's wallet, you find somebody's phone, you don't steal them, you don't keep them, you look after them, you try and find the person to whom they belong and you restore it to them. There's care of one's neighbor emphasized here. There's care of animals emphasized. If you see your neighbor's donkey fallen, don't just leave the donkey. Help them to get it up. Even the thing about the, the bird's nest. Now, for us, that seems a little bit strange because if we found a bird's nest, we wouldn't want to eat the blackbird or whatever we found. But of course, in this context, three and a half thousand years ago, where people would have known real hunger, that would have been a way of finding food. But God says, don't take the mother and the eggs. You can take the eggs, but don't take the mother. And it's an extraordinarily strong command because he says, if you do this, it will go well with you and you will live long. That there's a care for the environment, which actually God connects to the longevity of human life and experience. Now, we like that. That resonates for us, care for the environment. And there's health and safety rules here, which feel very familiar. (laughs) On this building, we have cables on the roof, which if you ever went up there, you're meant to strap yourself to in case you fell off. Here in Scripture, it says build a parapet around the roof so people don't fall off. There's health and safety legislation, which feels very, very familiar to us. There's also those things which we might find more jarring or even offensive, and these are around the things where God says stuff is not to be mixed. Men are not to wear women's clothes. Women are not to wear men's clothes. You're not even to plant different kinds of seeds in your vineyard. You're not even meant to wear clothes which are made of mixed fibers. Now, these instructions don't all apply to us Christians in the same way they did to the people of Israel three and a half thousand years ago. The law has been completed, fulfilled by Christ. We now enjoy a righteousness that doesn't come from the law, but comes from the completed work of Christ. We receive and appropriate that. Our righteousness is not on the basis of what we do, but on the basis of what Christ has done for us. And so these rules do not apply to us in the same way they did to the ancient Israelites. But this passage does give a picture to us of what Christianity does and what Christianity demands. And there are some things which our culture likes about what Christianity does. 
There are some things which our culture finds strange about what we as Christians do, and there are some things which our culture just finds outright offensive about what we as Christians believe and practice. And our own gut reaction to the Word of God in Deuteronomy 22 is something of a metaphor for how our culture responds to Christianity. So if, as I read Deuteronomy 22, there were things you said, yes, and other things you said, what, and other things you said, fulfilled, no, that is a reflection of how our culture responds to us as Christians. Our society likes us as Christians doing good. Nobody has any problem with us running gatehouse and all the other social action things we do. Nobody has any problem with us helping to provide for the poor and feeding those who are hungry and caring for the sick and looking after the homeless. Nobody has a problem with us doing that stuff. They're happy for us to do that. They're happy for us to pay that. They're happy for us to build buildings, pay for the heating, provide the volunteers, do the stuff the council doesn't really want to pay for or can't afford to pay for. They're very happy for us to do that. That's what they want the church to do. All the good do-going, going, going, do good doing stuff, do gooding stuff, all that stuff. But they don't like us saying that things shouldn't be mixed and confused. And at our moment in history, that is especially around the area of sexuality. And so that is especially what we're going to be thinking about over these five weeks. And next Sunday, my friend Jeremy Moses from Grace Church in London is going to be talking about the good news of Christian sexuality. That's going to be an important message for us. To hear. Now, because of what we're looking at, that means that this morning's message, the next 20 minutes, could be quite uncomfortable for you. The next five weeks would be quite uncomfortable. And so, I want to give all the kind of provisos and trigger warnings and all the rest. That in what we're saying over these five weeks, we are not looking to be offensive or cause offense, but we are wanting to honestly articulate the coherence of the Christian message and to explain why it is good news. Why it is good news. And so we need to dig into some of this stuff. So let's think about the way that Christianity is the air that we breathe. Think about the values that define our culture. Things like freedom and equality and belief in science and consent and those kind of values which define modern British society. We think that these values are self-evident, that they just are that it's obvious that you should believe in equality and freedom and consent and science and all the rest. But in reality, they just aren't. Here's a quote from Rebecca McLaughlin's book. To our 21st century Western ears, love across racial and cultural difference, the equality of men and women, and the idea that the poor, oppressed, and marginalized can make moral claims on the strong, rich, and powerful sound like basic moral common sense. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? But they are not. These truths have come to us from Christianity. Rip that foundation out, and you won't uncover a better basis of human equality and rights. You'll uncover an abyss that cannot even tell you what a human being is. Like cartoon characters running off a cliff, we may continue a short way before we realize that the ground has gone from underneath our feet, but it has gone. Now, in this series, we're aiming to show how our culture is, in a sense, running in the air, and we have a desperate need to recover some solid ground. 
Think about, all the things, think about other things that we take for granted. Think, I think architecture and calendars are a great example of this. So here in, in Britain, or in, in, in Europe generally, you expect, you go into any village and you expect to find a church building at the center of it. You go into any town and you've got the architecture of church buildings. Uh, view across Bournemouth, this, the architecture is shaped by church buildings. You go to any significant city and you expect to find a big cathedral in the middle of the town. That's just our assumption. We're used to the architecture of our, the places where we live being shaped by church buildings. Similarly with our calendars. Why is this 2023? It's only because of Christianity. If it wasn't for Christianity, this wouldn't be 2023. The only reason that we're living in 2023 rather than some other dating system is because of Christianity. Our world is shaped physically and spatially by Christianity. Now, it's the same with our values. Pre-Christian Europe did not have our values. The assumptions before Christ were that of course, people are not equal. And there are obvious hierarchies of value. Clearly, this person is worth more than this person. That's just how the world is. And there is nothing that you owe to someone who is less than you. And there's nothing that you owe to someone who's outside your family or tribe or nation. And of course, slavery is completely normal, natural, and good. Those were the assumptions of pre-Christian Europe. And something profound happens when Christianity burst upon the scene. That the assumptions of the culture were turned upside down by Christianity. That suddenly, rather than assuming that just the person who was most powerful, richest, the strongest man in town was the most valuable person, Christianity emphasizes valuing those who are apparently less. Christianity emphasized valuing and serving the sick and the poor and the widow and the orphan. And Christianity resulted in a radical restructuring of family life and sexual relations. So that it's not now just women who are supposed to behave sexually, but men are supposed to behave sexually. And it was Christianity that resulted in the development of rights-based law because it's Christianity that recognized the rights, the freedom, the worth of the individual. That you as a person matter, no matter what apparent status you have in life. And so the only reason that we hold the values that we do in the West is because of Christianity. That's a quote from Rebecca McLaughlin again. To our 21st century Western ears, love across racial and cultural difference, the equality of men and women, and the idea that the poor, oppressed, and marginalized can make moral claims and the strong, rich, and powerful sound like basic moral common sense. They are not. These truths have come to us from Christianity. So even when in our world we see the values distorted, as they often are, they still come from Christianity. Because Christianity is the air that we breathe. It's a thing which has shaped the world in which we live. Let me try and give you an example of this. Think about last year's Football World Cup. Why was there so much outrage about Qatar? Why was Gary Lineker so angry? Why did Gary care so much about what the Qataris thought? If you, you think about it, it doesn't actually make much sense because what the Qataris think wasn't going to affect anybody who was attending the World Cup personally. 
The Qataris were not going to arrest gay football players or fans. That wasn't going to happen. So anybody who went to Qatar was not going to be personally affected by the beliefs of the Qataris. And also, it seemed to be a strangely colonial attitude, the anger against that nation. It's ironic, because we know that colonialism is bad. That's one of the things that our culture emphasizes very strongly, that colonialism is bad. But we in the West will insist on you in other places doing things our way when it comes to sex. There's, um, in the world today, there'd be a lot of criticism of missionaries from previous generations, and people would talk about things like Victorian missionaries going to parts of Africa and making the, the people in Africa uh, take off their tribal gear and put on Western dress, and that would be seen as a terrible, colonial, oppressive thing to do. But Gary Lineker is just as colonial in what he expects people from a nation which has no Christian heritage, has very different cultural assumptions, that they should think exactly as we in the West do around sexuality. Why was that? Why did that whole thing erupt in the way that it did? It's because there's an assumption that current Western ideas of sexuality are self-evidently correct. Self-evidently correct. How could anyone think differently from the way that we think? Now, where on earth did that idea come from? That the way that we think is the way that everybody should obviously think. It comes from the air that we breathe. It's because of the values that Christianity has built into our culture that we make lots of assumptions about moral judgments. We assume that everybody in the world, everybody in the world, believes in freedom and equality and science and consent. But the reality is that they don't. And we're outraged when others don't share our assumptions. We see it as gross moral failure. And that's why Gary Lineker was so angry about what was happening in a nation on the other side of the world with a completely different history, religion, and values. Now, all that happened in the World Cup, all that outrage around what was happening there, was a, I believe, a distortion of Christianity, but we would never have got here without Christianity. If it wasn't for the values of freedom and liberty and equality that Christianity has breathed into the atmosphere of our world, Gary Lineker would never have been outraged as he was about what a different people group in a different part of the world believe and do. Christianity is the air that we breathe. So what should we do about this? First thing is that we do need to remember that Christianity is the air that we breathe. When we see these assumptions in play, when we see people just assuming certain moral viewpoints, even when that is distorted, we need to understand that that comes from Christianity. Even the distorted values of our world, they're actually the heirs of Christianity. Without Christianity, they would never have, we'd never think this way. We'd never make these assumptions any more than we'd know that this is 2023. We just wouldn't. But then we need to identify what the distortions are. So I think again about Kate Forbes this past week. So in Scotland right now, it seems that it is righteous to say that someone with a penis is genuinely, truly a woman. 
But it is morally outrageous to say that sex should only be something which happens between a man and a woman who are married. Now, that is a distortion. Without Christianity, we'd never got to this point. But that point is a terrible distortion of what Christian values actually are. What we need to do is to receive Christianity as, as a package, as the whole deal. What Christianity does is to produce goodness. It produces care for the weak, for the poor, for those who are less. And our society likes it when the church does that. It likes that when we fill the gap. It likes it when we care for people. That's what society likes about us. But Christianity also involves a call to separateness, to purity, to to holiness. And so we do serve a God who says both. When you build a new house, put a parapet around it so people don't fall off and get killed. And a God who says a woman must not wear men's clothes and a man must not wear women's clothes. Christianity is a package deal. need to understand that. And if we're going to really grasp this and make sense of it and live it out and respond to the craziness of our worlds, we need to understand that Christianity is good news. And what we're wanting to do over these five weeks up till Easter is to help us to see again not only the way that Christianity has shaped the world in which we now live, which is historically and sociologically interesting in itself, but we're wanting to show again why Christianity is good news. Why it's good news for us and why it's good news for our world. That the best thing that could happen to our society would be a recovery of undistorted Christianity. To get some solid ground again rather than just running in the air. And, and again, another thing we want to do, part of the reason why we're doing this, is we want to put some steel in the backbone of us as a church that we do need to hold fast to the convictions that we have and not get swept away. We have convictions which must not budge. And so, yes, we are going to do the stuff which our society likes. We're going to seek to be generous and serve the poor and open the doors of our buildings and fill them with people as much as we can and bless people indiscriminately and all the rest. Yes, we're going to do that, but... We're not going to budge from our convictions about the other stuff, of what it means to be a Christian and receive Christ and all that he teaches us. You know, the, the, the default human condition is not freedom, equality, science, and consent. The default human position is slavery, inequality, superstition, and coercion. And that is what the world is like without Christ. It's Christianity that teaches us that God is kind and people are valuable. It's Christianity that teaches us that. And it's that which makes freedom and equality and science and consent possible. So we must remember that when we clash with the distorted values of the world. Also importantly, this means that the position we're taking isn't primarily defensive. At the moment, it can feel like we're on the back foot. We're in a defensive position, like poor Kate Forbes, and she's getting interrogated by various people about her quite reasonable beliefs. We're not just in a defensive position. Actually, what we're doing is offering something positive. Worlds, you've got all these values which come from Christianity, but you've lost the foundation. You're running in, in the air. You're going to fall on your face. We 
have the message which brings people back into solid ground. Think about that psalm we started our service with, God is our refuge, our rock. It's only in Christ that people will find solid ground on which to build their lives. We've got good news, got good news for all people. This is helpful from Carl Truman in his book. He says this, We can become so preoccupied with specific threats for us at the moment, all the sexuality stuff, it could feel like a threat to us, that we neglect the important fact that Christian truth is not a set of isolated and unconnected claims, but rather stands as a coherent whole. The church's teaching, this is so important, the church's teaching on gender, marriage, and sex is a function of, of her teaching what it means to be human. The gospel we have shows us what it is to be fully human. The gospel of the world, which has taken our Christian values and twisted and distorted them, can't show us what it is to be fully human. It's going to end up in wreckage and ruin. We've got good news for humans. And we need to see what Christianity teaches us about being human. This, of course, begins with our belief that we are made in God's image. And this confers a dignity on and value on us all. That the starting point of how we understand the human race as Christians is that God made us in his image. And that means that you matter. That means that somebody in Turkey buried in the rubble matters because they're made in the image of God. That's where we start. And, and believing that creates very different results from it's just a belief that somehow we got here by the black blind chances of evolution. If, if that's your framework for understanding why we're here, you have no foundation for freedom and equality and science and consent. You've got no foundation for that stuff because it's all just random chance. And in the end, each of our lives is utterly meaningless because you as a person in the end are meaningless. You are just a tube of DNA who might pass on your DNA to somebody else. But that's all you are. There's no foundation there for equality, no foundation there for freedom, no foundation there for personal value, worth, and dignity. It's as we start with recognizing that you are made in the image of God, that's where we see the value and worth of every individual. That's what needs to shape us. Christianity teaches that God is so invested in humanity that he took on human flesh. The old pre-Christian myths of Europe told stories about the gods taking on human flesh. But they did that in order to be tricksters or for male gods to rape female women or to lord it over people. The truth is that the God took on human flesh in order to serve and sacrifice and die for men and women like you and me. That's who God is. That's good news. Christianity teaches us that as Christ died and rose again, humanity is made new in him. That what should have been ours, death and judgment, became his. And what was rightfully his, righteousness and life, become ours. Hallelujah. And that transformation, that in Christ we're made new, that transformation remakes us personally and corporately. That's why in the first centuries of the church there was social change. That when those first believers were themselves transformed, it didn't just affect them, but it affected the whole community. The communities they formed and built in the church, and then that, how that impacted society at large. Because now the church was teaching that masters are not superior to their slaves, but both are brothers and sisters in Christ. There's equality. 
Now the church is teaching that you don't abandon the sick and the poor, literally on the ash heap as happened in the Roman world, but you care for the sick and the poor because they're made in the image of God and they have worth as people precious to God. The early church taught that now it's not just women who have to be sexually faithful, but men as well. That you powerful Roman men, you're not to have as many women as you like. You're meant to be faithful to the one woman that God has entrusted you, if he has so done, in marriage. That changes everything. Changes everything. Christianity, Christ, shows us what being human can really mean. It means that, yes, treating our neighbors kindly and honestly is important. It means that, yes... Treating the environment kindly is important. And it means that, yes, sexual purity is important. It's a package deal. It all hangs together. How can our world be made kinder, fairer, and more beautiful? Only through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is good news. That means that Christianity is good news. Now remember that this week as you breathe the air. As you breathe the air, remember the reason we have the values we do is because, only because of Christianity. Be alert to where those values have become distorted and where people are just running in the air and will fall on their faces. And remember the good news that in Christ we can discover what it truly means to be human. This is a message which transforms us, changes communities, in the end can transform nations, can bring life, hope, beauty, true equality, true freedom, true liberty, true dignity to each and every one of us. That's the good news of the Christian gospel. Lord, I pray for us. I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray for those in this room who don't yet know you or even struggling with some of the things I've said. I pray that you would minister your grace. They would see the good news of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those of us who do, do know you. I pray that you would help us to have clarity about the Christian gospel, what it means for us, why it is good. I pray you'd help us to be very winsome, but also very stubborn, to stand our ground, Lord, not give way in all the craziness of the world. Lord, help us to remember that we are the ones who are standing on solid ground. It's not us who are absurd and crazy, but it's the distorted values of our society. So help us not to lose sight of that, and help us to joyfully, not defensively, proclaim this good news, this beautiful message, which is rescue for us, rescue for the human race. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to take uh, communion now, and as we do that, I'd really encourage you to we can take, come and take the bread and the wine, come back to your seat, and then Matthew will lead us to actually take it together. But as we do that, think about the Christian gospel. Think about what good news this is. As we take the bread and the wine, it's a sign of us being united in one body, united in Christ Jesus, that in this room we are a brotherhood. There's an incredible equality amongst us because of what Christ has made us. There's an incredible dignity about each one of us because we've been made in the image of Christ. 
made in the image of God. There's, a, there's, there's this extraordinary story, transformation, which we've experienced that all that was Christ has become ours as he's taken what should have been ours on the cross himself. As we take the bread and the wine, as we think about Jesus, the servant, the sacrifice, let's think about what that means for us and the good news that is for our crazy, crazy world. Let's stand, let's worship, let's come and take the bread and the wine.